letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I want you woven into a tapestry of love with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. All the wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called or the secret, quote-unquote. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well-constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. I wonder how much time I have wasted on unnecessary things. I'm not talking about necessary things like enjoying a breeze while watching the birds, or necessary things like being still and listening to music, or even maybe a necessary thing like a few hours of mindless television to let my mind but What I'm talking about are unnecessary things like worrying and ruminating on things that I can't do anything about. Or, as we explored last week, the ways that time can get taken up through addictive behaviors like checking our phone for texts and emails and updates and likes on our social media, reading every breaking news ping, that pings and pings and pings. <laughs> I was struck last week by how many people mentioned to me the way reaching for their phone has become an unconscious habit. So that in any moment of lull, or even when with other people, they pick it up for absolutely no At some level, I am not really living my own life when I'm taken over by worry, by addictive phone checking, by constant scrolling. I'm not really living my own life when I allow my life to be co-opted by things that do not in any way help me Anyone else. It is easy in this world to lose our focus, 
Interruptions and distractions abound. And the speed at which we are with information makes it feel like life is speeding up, like life itself is speeding up, often at a pace that we struggle to keep pace with. in his book, Stolen Focus, which is the the inspiration for this short series, interviewed MIT professor Earl Miller, an award-winning neuroscientist who said that we are fools if we think we can really keep up with the pace of things these days. Miller says, quote, your brain can only produce one or two thoughts in your conscious mind at once. This might be hard to understand for us people here with all the big thoughts and big big doings in your lives, but the the professor goes on to say, we are very single-minded, and the really hard part, with very limited cognitive capacity. Due to, not because there's anything wrong with us, but due to the, quote, fundamental structure of the brain. Dr. Miller says that we have invented a myth that we can think about any number of things all at the same time. And to that this true, we, quote, took a term that was never meant to be applied to human beings at all. In the 1960s, computer scientists invented machines with more than one processor. So they really could do two things or more simultaneously. They called this machine power multitasking. Then we took that concept and we applied it to ourselves. But of course we can multitask, right? I mean, I know some of you are out there thinking this. I I multitask all the time. And honestly, I think you kind of have to be willing to be interrupted and to multitask. I'm not sure there's any other way to get it done. Dr. Miller's point explains some of why parents are often so tired challenges the ways that we unnecessarily try to focus on several things at once. Scientists tested the idea that humans can multitask, and what they discovered is that, quote, when people think they are doing several things at once, they're actually switching back and forth. They don't notice the switching, because their brain sort of papers it over to give experience of consciousness. But what they're actually doing is switching and reconfiguring their brain moment to moment, task to task. And that comes with cost. Last week, I shared the research about how long it takes after an interruption, when you're focusing, really focusing on something and you're interrupted, how long it takes to regain your focus after 23 minutes. Switching, this switching thing, 
has a similar effect. So that if, for example, you are checking your texts, texts, texts. Why can I say that? Your texts often while you're trying to work. You aren't only losing the little bursts of time when you're checking, but you're also losing the time it takes to refocus afterward, which is often much longer. Switching also causes more errors in your work, because when you switch from task to task, your brain has to backtrack a little bit and pick up and figure out where it left off. It's a lot of work, so glitches start to happen. A longer-term effect of switching might be called the creativity drain. Over time, you won't get the amount of free, undistracted time that your needs to think back over your experiences and begin to draw links between them in new, creative ways. Switching studies show may also have consequences for learning and for to remember. If you're doing three things at once, studies show that you will not really remember much of what you did in any of it. So here's the bottom line: If the research is correct, creating an environment in which we can focus on one project, thought, or task at a time, but instead are trying to multitask, to talk on the phone while we scroll through email and eat lunch, that's going to leave us performing at a slower level. Prone to mistakes, less creative, and will remember less of what we do. Doesn't already feel like a little little wearying to the brain? Here's a little bit more of brain science to consider. Adam Gazzali, a professor of neurology, physiology, and psychiatry at the University of California, explained to Hari in the quote. You should think of your brain as like a nightclub with a bouncer. The bouncer's job is to filter out most of the stimuli that are hitting you at any given traffic noise, the couple having an argument across the street, the cell phone ringing in the pocket of the person next to you. And this filtering, this bouncer doing this filtering, is doing that so that you can think coherently. One thing at a time. The bouncer is essential. This ability to filter out irrelevant information is crucial if you are going to be able to attend to your, what you're trying to do. End quote. Today, Gazzali believes, quote, the bouncer is besieged in an unprecedented way. In addition to switching tasks like. Never before, our brains are also being forced to filter more frantically than at any point in our past. Rising noise pollution is just one example. Things are loud in our world. We are surrounded by shrieking distractions, calling for our attention and the attention of others, and as a result, a lot of the time, the bouncer can't. Filter like he used to. Club becomes full of rowdy jerks disrupting the normal dancing on the dance floor.
Both professors, Dr. Earl Miller and Dr. Adam Gazzali, agree that, quote, we have fundamental limitations to our brain capacity. I know that's not a popular thing to say in this crowd, but there it is. We have fundamental limitations to our brain capacity, but we fail to truly honor those limitations. We don't allow our brains to focus on one thing and then the next, or to let stillness and silence here and there, now and again, quiet the nightclub in our head. Studies show that there are destructive consequences for our work, for our mental health, for our sleep. Shall we talk about sleep for a moment? How about let's talk about sleep? I don't know about you, but sleep for me is increasingly challenging. I assume age has something to do with that. But if all the things about our brain overload are true, which I tend to believe they are, then no wonder I am often waking up multiple times a night with my mind so busy with what happened the day before, with what's got to happen the next day, all the things going on at work and in the world, and all the things and all the things. It may not surprise you that studies have revealed that today, 40% of Americans are chronically deprived, getting less than the necessary minimum of seven hours a night. And some of you may be thinking, "Oh, that doesn't—that doesn't affect me." Even if you think you're doing fine on four to six hours every night, it's not. Quote: Everybody falls apart with two nights of missed sleep. They basically say that two nights of missed sleep, you're drunk. Literally, is how your your body functions. You are completely incapacitated. Miss sleep, and some of you will say, "Well, I don't miss two whole nights of sleep in a row." Well, guess what? If you're only getting four to five hours of sleep over a few weeks, you land in exactly the same place. The less you sleep, the more the worse in every way in your immediate focus. In your ability to think deeply and to make connections, and in your memory, constant distractions, information overload, asking and switching, and frantic filtering diminish our capacity to rest and to get good sleep, and our incapacity to rest and get good sleep are susceptible. To distraction and inability to focus, it is a vicious cycle. It's all interconnected. But there is another way. The perspective found in Psalm 131 offers an alternative. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my. Like a weaned child with its mother, rather than occupying themselves with more than is manageable, more than is possible, the psalmist acknowledges their limits. Says, "I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother." So, how 
do we do that? Well, we need to slow our roll. We need to slow down. We need to calm down enough to pay attention to what we are doing. Pause and to consider what we will do next. For starters, we can humbly acknowledge that, as one neuroscientist said, quote, we are not machines. We cannot live by the logic of machines. We are humans, and we work differently. That is, we can admit at our best when we monotask. You know how long it's been in this culture that everybody was going around wanting to get a trophy for being a good multitasker? It's like the value in the culture. How many things time and as quickly as possible? But what all the, the scientists are telling us is that we as humans are at our best when we monotask. And then if we try to do that, we can remove the things that distract us or tempt us to multitask. For most of us, I imagine monotasking, that is, just focusing on one thing at a time without distraction, will take some practice. Dr. Miller said, the brain is like a muscle. The more you use certain things, the stronger the connection's getting and the better things work. So if you find that you are struggling to focus, just try monotasking for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. And then you can take a moment to be distracted and then come back and do it again for 10 minutes. Some would call this uh, the 10-minute rule so that if you feel the urge while you're focusing on your phone or get up and do something else, that you just set an alarm, do 10 more minutes, and then allow yourself to move. Dr. Miller says, as you do this, your brain gets better and better at it because you're strengthening the neural connection in that behavior, and pretty soon you can do not just 10, but 15, 20. You might even be able to focus for half an hour. Praise Jesus. Other concrete strategies to help remove slow down include these. Some of them perhaps you've already been doing. You can change the notification settings on your phone. Here's a thought. Those things, those apps that, that can interrupt focus all throughout the day. You can even, and this is a thing you can really do, you can delete apps from your phone. And if you need to keep some, why not just schedule a little time, a specific amount of time, when you know you're going to spend some time on it, but make it part of the day that you've planned for, and then it ends when it's over. You can also calendar a chunk of time devoted to unsubscribing from email lists. I highly recommend this one. I do it sometimes as a contemplative practice. <laughs> like, check, 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 check. Um, it feels so much freer once, once those things have been let go. Uh, if you can do this, not all of us can, but if you can, include office hours on your email signature 
times when you will check email, and then don't check it any other time but those. You are free in Christ to check email too. How about that? Calendar time to read a newspaper. Put it on your calendar. This is my newspaper time. Whenever works for you, you're going to read an actual paper, if you like that sort of thing, or you can read it on your phone. And then you can those automatic things that pop up, all of those, what are, what are they called? Uh, real-time updates, breaking news. You know those things? You can just say, no, no, thank you. I've gotten my news for the day. I'll get it again tomorrow. I promise you, it's Another strategy when trying to manage distractions is quite simply to pause and consider. I am old enough to remember this or not, but I am old enough to remember this thing that used to be on the internet way back when. The internet was divided into pages. And when you got to the bottom of one page, you had to decide to click a button to get to the next page. It was an act of choice. It gave you a moment to pause and to ask, do I want to keep looking at this? And then there came, does anybody else, some of you, not many, I do. Then there came something called infinite scroll, in which at the bottom of the page, another page automatically loads, and then another page and then another page automatically loads, and then it just keeps going, and it keeps going to infinity. You can do that until next year. It just keeps coming. It takes... There's no, in that infinite scroll, there's no built-in pause and consider mechanism. So you have to use some of your own willpower, some intention, but simply realizing that you have gotten looped into an infinite scroll might trip your brain to say, do I really want to still be looking at this? Aza Raskin is the one who actually created infinite scroll, and he thought it was going to be a really helpful innovation. Uh, he has since studied calculating that at a conservative estimate, infinite scroll makes you spend 50% more of your time on social sites. He's quoted by Hari in the book saying, that time is just completely gone. It's like their entire life, poof. That time which could have been used for solving climate change or for spending time with their family or for strengthening social bonds, for whatever it is, life well lived, is just gone. There are, these are all things that are about kind of letting things go or controlling some of our behaviors, but there are things I want to remind us that help you calm and quiet your soul, like breathing exercises, guided meditations, exercises, hiking, soothing sounds, music. All of those things are available and can be aided or provided by online apps, kinds of media. Of course, you can do it without the apps, too. <laughs> The wisdom from the letter to the Colossians is a call to be less enmeshed in the things of this world and instead woven into a tapestry 
of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. This, the letter says, will give us minds confident and at rest. I regularly receive in my email, intentionally, poetry, scripture meditation, spiritual reflections, and I cut those come from a variety of sources so that I don't have to only be at home points. When I have a moment where I'm having to wait a long time in a doctor's office or in a really long line, I can simply look at something on my phone that's right there. It's one of the gifts of technology, because it's with me, and I can up and stay in touch with the things of God and offer lightness and depth to my thoughts, no matter where I am in the busy flow of life and work. It gives time to be reminded of the gift and grace that is life and God's love. And on those occasions when I am actually able to extract myself from all the distractions, I remember that each moment, each scrap is a profound gift from God and not to be wasted. The invitation in our text this morning is to live our lives and not sacrifice precious moments on the of distractions. Our distractions can live us if we're not careful. They can steal our time and leave us utterly exhausted and drained and unable to focus or to think clearly. But by the grace of God, And with some thoughtful strategies, we can, like a very famous representative in Congress has said, we can reclaim our time. Psalm 131 has said, we can live our lives in ways that are filled with peace and purpose and love. May it be so. Amen. Amen.